0: Got a Bible, whatever page is on, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. We've been going through, as I've been here on Sunday evenings, um, 2 Corinthians and a chapter 5. We've looked at several verses there. Uh, I'm not going to say what we've already looked at, straight on to verse 17. A verse with which most of us would be familiar. Uh, The Apostle says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or better creation. He is a new creation. Uh, All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Therefore, if any man, any woman, uh, be in Christ, he, she is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want to split into three very simple little headings, which are in the text. Um, A new place, a new experience, and a new life. Now, you can adapt those little headings uh, if you like, um, but I'm sure you'll get where we're going. Okay. So, very simply and straightforwardly, let's look at this first. It's one of the what we call the big verses. There are, all the verses are profitable and inspired, and listen, but there are some big verses. I suggest this one and several others in this passage towards the end of the chapter. There's some big verses here. So, the first thing that the apostle says if any man be in Christ, that's his place. A Christian is someone who is. In Christ. Uh, someone has said that Paul's permanent address was in Christ. You could always find him at home there in Christ. And if you're familiar with the letters, particularly the letter to the Ephesians, you know this little expression in Christ, in him, in whom uh, it right throughout that little epistle. I did think uh, of kind of going with a highlighter, you know, and underlining underline the in uh, all the way through. But then the epistle to the Ephesians would, would look like um, uh, had, had, well, it had um, measles, It'd be dots all over the place. Because there's so many, these little expressions, in Christ. There are various ways that a Christian can be described. Bible ways, disciples, believers... Um, those who are saved and redeemed and reconciled, all these lovely things that describe what we are as Christians, the word Christian itself, a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ. But there's something special about this little expression. It's a very simple little expression, in Christ. Now, what we have to say, uh, uh, by way of understanding is, firstly, that there was a time when we were not in Christ, we were actually in someone else. Now, it's um, symbolic, it's metaphorical, it's, it's not physical, obviously you know that <coughs> it's a spiritual term, uh, but if you were to look into uh, the Romans, for example, uh, chapter five, where the writer talks about our past state. Our past state, before we came to know Jesus as Saviour, before we knew forgiveness of sins and peace with God, our past state as the state of all, the whole mankind, was in Adam. Now, that means that there was a sense in which we were united to Adam. And it goes through it in technical terms there in Romans 5 and other places, 1 Corinthians 15, where the writer says, When Adam... Adam was created by God. All mankind <coughs> came from him. So in a sense, we are in Adam. But not only we were created from him through him, but when he fell into sin, when he disobeyed God, then we also fell into sin. So we're in Adam, in our sin. And the whole of mankind is in Adam. That's our position. Spiritually speaking. And the, the, uh, Paul goes on and talks about being dead in trespasses and sins. In, in again, you see. We're in, that's our state. It's naturally speaking. That's our state outside of Christ. That's our state outside of the kingdom. That's our position. We're in Adam, in the world, in our sins. And it's not a nice place to be. It's interesting when people ask you, where do you live? And you might just say, in Hailsham, or in Eastbourne. And then they may say some things that they know about Eastbourne, or they might ask you to describe, well, what's it like there? And you say, oh, Hailsham is so wonderful. <coughs> all right? And, and all the rest of it. You could, you could say lots of nice things. All right? Strangely enough, take this as a compliment, but I liken Hailsham to Bridgend. Because Bridgend, um, the nearest town from which I come, is a market town. So you have that kind of similarity. It's the market town for the valleys and the area round about. And that's the town in which I grew up. So there are lots of similarities about Bridgend. And it's not that far from the seaside. Okay. So where do you live? I live in Hailsham. I live in Eastbourne. And if you had to discuss, and there are some places in Hailsham, in Eastbourne, that are nice places. After we moved to uh, Langney, where we live, the district of Langney, we found out that it had a bad reputation. Greatly enhanced by ourselves going there, I'm sure. But we had a bad reputation. Apparently all the criminals lived in Langney. They didn't tell us, mind. Uh, I'm sure that was in the bad old days, you know. It's, it's quite quiet nowadays, all right. Um, but so whenever I say, where do you live? People who, who know the area, I so saw I live near Stone Cross, because that's a posh place, all right, you know. Uh, some cross oh, so they. oh yeah yeah or oh, Upper Langley right um, <laughs> now where you live where you from and if you're not a Christian and they say well where are you spiritually uh, and you're at a loss to say where you are because if you said the truth you'd have to say well I'm I'm not in a state of grace uh, I'm not in Christ. I'm in the world. I'm in my own little world. That's I'm in a place that's not the best place to be. But a Christian is someone who's in Christ, is in union with Christ. And this is a glorious because of all the truth that comes out of it. Now, we do not just touching it on it tonight. I'm just mentioning it almost in a few little phrases. But the most glorious place you can ever be is to be In Christ. Because it is God who takes you out of Adam, out of the world, out of your sin, and it's God who places you in Christ. It's a work of God. It's a work of God the Holy Spirit. And once God takes you out of this world and out of Adam and puts you in Christ, you're in Christ forever. It's not just a belief system. It's not that you follow him and try to do what he does and says. No, you're actually in a union with Christ. You're in Christ. Now, this is a way the New Testament describes Christians. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing that we're in him. And obviously, he in us. How amazing is that? We're in this, if you like, in this relationship with the Lord Jesus. We with him, he with us. And there's nothing greater or better in the whole universe, in the whole cosmos. Because once we put it in Christ, we'll remain in Christ in this life, in this world, and in the life to come. We'll forever be in Christ. We'll never change our address spiritually. Spiritually. Those of you who have moved a few times will know one of the uh, difficulties, not difficulties, one of the hardships perhaps, is to tell people that you've moved and remembering to whom you must write to tell them you've moved and you're not there anymore, you're here. And and sometimes you have letters addressed to the old address and they have to be forwarded or whatever and I didn't know you'd moved. Now, we move once into Christ and in Christ forever. So, in Christ. Let's go on to the other little expression. A new creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I don't know that we really appreciate the greatness of salvation. Uh, I... uh, Preach a little sermon on the grace, God's grace is sufficient. You know that, it's from Corinthians. And one of the things I say about God's grace is that it's omnipotent, it's supernatural. Now, people get a bit funny if you say something supernatural, but it is because it's of God, it's supernatural, it's omnipotent grace. I mentioned the moon and the stars. All right, uh, and how great creation is. Now anybody with a bit of sense, if they look at the creation, they must say, well, whoever did this is great. Now you don't have to have a, a degree in science, biology, and all the other ologies to realize and to see that through. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day and day under speech, and night and night showeth knowledge. I've mentioned it several times, and I'll probably keep mentioning it. I love these restoration programmes. Right? They have this old uh, wardrobe. Uh, what well, I saw this week: um, an old settle. Now, do you know what a settle is? You, uh, a knowledgeable lady there. Thank you, gentlemen a settle, it may be an old farmhouse thing, I don't know, but a settle looks like um, a pew, but a, a wideish pew with a big back, all right? And you could sit on it. But then, in the night, you could pull the seat up, and it became like a little bed. You could lie in it. Now, whether it was used, but the farmers used it particularly for, I don't know, whatever, but it was a wonderful piece of furniture. And the fellow was restoring it. He looked at it and said, you know, this great craftsmanship going into this. And he knew the person who had made it or made something similar, and he described how great this person was who had done this because the evidence was there. Now, you could apply that to paintings and, and ceramics, all kinds of things, all right? Um, even if you were a bit careful, you could talk about uh, a car being gloriously put together, all right? Ask a dear... Uh, but not about BMWs All right. now these cars are wonderful there's a mind a great mind behind this now what I'm saying is this is very simple stuff here the creation declares how great God is from teeny weeny little things I put my finger on a wasp this afternoon and it stung me One oh, not very nice was it I didn't do it deliberately you know and he stung me. Now, God gave that wasp the ability to sting its enemies. Right? It's part of its creation. So that you wouldn't have people bashing poor little wasps, love them. <clears throat> now, God is great, is great creator. Now, creation is great, but salvation is greater. You see, how can salvation be greater than creation? Because salvation is a new creation. God takes this person who is dead in trespasses and in sins, dead to God, dead spiritually, and he performs a miracle of resurrection. Now, we all know the story of Lazarus. I may have mentioned this previously. We all know the story of Lazarus and uh, you know he's unwell and his sister's sent for Jesus and Jesus delays his going and the time he gets there he's been dead four days he's in the grave and his sister says he's beginning to stink he's dead absolutely dead, 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 dead and then Jesus goes to the tomb and he weeps the death of a friend that's normal, natural, that's fine and then he says something peculiar it really is peculiar to be honest it's bordering on the well there's something wrong here Here is a man saying to a man who is dead, come out of the grave. Uh, Excuse me, Jesus, he's dead. He cannot hear you. He cannot respond because he cannot hear you. He cannot respond because he's dead. His brain is dead, his will is dead, his mind is dead, his heart is dead, his, his liver is dead, everything is dead. He is dead. He cannot respond to your invitation, to your command. Come out of there. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, exercises omnipotent power. And not only does he call him, but he infuses power into his mind, his brain, his ears, his liver his everything, all right, and he responds Jesus doesn't kind of blow into the cave, into the a little bit of divine kind of wind and fan the flames and up he pops that's how some people think of salvation You know, God kind of blows on the fan, fans a little flame. It's a little flame inside us all of spirituality, and God blows on it, and up it blows, and we become Christians. That's not what the Bible says. We're dead, 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 but omnipotent grace comes. Omnipotent grace intervenes and invades us and works in our heart and our mind and renews our mind and renews our will and enables us to say, I want Jesus to be my saviour. We say those words, we believe, but it's under the inspiration and instrumentality of God the Holy Spirit. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. There's nobody that will be in heaven who will be able to say, I'm here because God saved me. Well, at least he did 90% of it and I did my little 10%. There'll be nobody in heaven who'll be able to say, well, I'm here because God did 99% of the work, but I did my little bit. I have a little bit of merit in that. No, 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 no. 100%. The grace of God. God Almighty, irresistibly by his way, breaks in, breaks through. And in the day of his power, his people are willing, and they say, I want Jesus amazing, absolutely amazing it's a new creation a new creation, a new man, a new woman and then thirdly a new life if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation all things passed away behold all things become new There has to be evidence (coughs) of this work. Anybody can say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a new person. I've turned a new leaf. They can say lots of things. But we are entitled to say, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? How do we know that this is real? How do you know that Lazarus was resurrected? Why? By watching him come out of the tomb, he's the same outwardly, but inwardly, he's been resurrected. And it's evident because there he is. I love the story of the blind man in John 9. Uh, you know it, it, it's a wonderful story, wonderful. And particularly when, when the Pharisees keep questioning him. Uh, you'd think they'd have enough sense here as a man has been born blind right he uh, hasn't come upon him during his lifetime he's actually born blind and, and there they sadly that's the case and the lord heals him and he can see and uh, they, they tell the religious leaders and they, they don't believe it they don't want to believe it and so they go through a whole system of you know are we sure that he was blind yes he was blind are we sure this is the same man? Yes, this is the same man. And they go all through these, these questions, and ask him, and he tells the story. You know, this man, I don't know his name, but he came, and he, he put, you know, the rest of my eyes, and I can see him. All right. And, uh, no, they're not happy, and they then call his parents, and they say, is this your boy? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Well, now he can he see. Yes. How is that happened? Well, we don't know. I don't know. And they're afraid to say, well, Jesus, obviously... Because uh, they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue by the authorities. And uh, uh, he's of age, ask him. So they ask him again. And the poor blind man's getting fed up being interrogated. You know, he, I can see. And he said, You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I can see, but you're not happy with it. Oh, you give God the glorious man's a sinner. You know, you you can't you can't be you can't. He wasn't from him. I did. not He didn't. I have nothing to do with. It. Well, he said he gave him a little theological lesson. I love it. A little theological lesson. Oh, that's interesting. Now, you say this man's a sinner. Okay, but God never heard sinners, and nobody ever made a blind man see before. So where'd you go with that then? Oh, shut your mouth. And, and, and they get short of him. So listen. Let me tell you something. I don't know much about him, but I know this. Once I was blind, but now I can see. That's the evidence that Jesus has done something for me. I've got a new life. And old things are beginning to pass away, and new, all things becoming new. There has to be evidence. A person says, now I'm a Christian. We, I think we're entitled to say, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Where's the fruit? Jesus said, by your, their fruits you shall know. Um, there must be evidence. Now, having said that, I thought about this a little bit. I thought I have to be a bit careful here. And I have be, you have to be a bit careful because the change from the old to the new, in some is dramatic, in some it's not. To illustrate the point, I want to tell you two (coughs) stories about two lads back home in Pencoid. One was called David, (coughs) and one was called, we call him John, David and John. Now, David was brought up in a Christian home. Um, He always went to Sunday school, young people's meeting, and then he eventually became a member. This was in a Presbyterian church in South Wales. David was a good boy, good boy for his man. He didn't use foul language. Uh, He did what he should do. He was fairly quiet, and he was a nice lad, David. And the Lord saved him, as he saves everybody else. Uh, He came to faith in the Savior, I think, at a young age, and he sought to share the faith in a quiet little way. But the change wasn't dramatic, Because David wasn't dramatic and he was a good lad anyway. Now, John was a different kettle of fish because John came from not a Christian background. John was an ungodly lad. John was a foul-mouthed boy. John wasn't very pleasant. John got up to all kinds of things. missus son Sun-so, your son has been up to nonsense again. And she never said, what, my lovely boy? Oh, not again. And bang, bang with a slipper and all the rest of it. Now, John was converted. And the change was Dramatic. Not because his salvation was any different to David's. Not because his salvation was any better than David's. It was the same salvation, the same Jesus. He believed in the same Jesus as David did. He believed in the same cross as David did. He believed that Christ died for sinners as he was. So there was nothing. Salvation was the same. But the change was dramatic because of his past life. And so people noticed the change in John more than they did in David because the, he was a nice lad anyway. He was a moral good lad. But this John, he was a bad lad. And so people noticed. And the foul language stopped. And various other things stopped. And people in the village noticed. And people in the school noticed. And, and everybody said, what's happened to John? Well, the answer was the Lord Jesus. All things passed away. Behold, all things became new. Now, you see, for David, he carried on. After he came to the Lord, he was actually in the church. He carried on going to church. Before he was a believer, he read his Bible. He continued to read his Bible. And I'm sure he said his prayers. And afterwards, he continued to pray. Perhaps we trust more meaningfully and and in reality. But things carried on. But for John, reading the Bible, wow. Going to church, wow. Telling people about Jesus, wow. And remarks are weird. you know, what's happened to you? You are once so out there, and now you're all religious. I've seen the light of you, and all various other comments that were made. There was evidence of a work of grace. So, when I say there must be a change, the old things pass away, things become new, it may be very evident, but it may not be so evident, but it must be there. If there's no love, for the Lord Jesus, however small, it must be there. If there's no love for the word of God, uh, although it's small, it must be there. If there's no love for the people of God, although it might be small, it must be there. There must be these little roads. I've tried an experiment in the garden. Now, some of you know I'm not a great gardener. I have a great helper, but I'm not a great gardener. And I discovered that my blackcurrant bushes, I can cut the branch off and put a bit of stuff on it and stick it in the ground, and I'll have a new little blackcurrant bush. Isn't that clever? I know you're overwhelmed, but stay with me, right? I, now, so I, I've got this, these little things, and I put it in, got some stuff from being cute, little whatever it is, gel, and I put it in a hole. And it's a little stick isn't it, And last week, I saw two teeny, weeny, beeny, little, little, like, um, what are they, roots, not roots, really, root stalks, buds, <laughs> that's the word. Two little buds. Isn't that wonderful? Two little buds. They're buddies. <laughs> two little buds on this, on this little thing. And I trust, God willing, that'll grow and those little buds will be little things, and at the end, there'll be black currants, and I will eat them, all on my own. Hallelujah! Now, this is evidence that there's a real work going on. There's real growth there. It's only small thus far. but time it's finished, when we get in my garden, it'll yeah. be Now, it must be there. It must be this love of the Savior, love of his word, love of his people, love of his house. And a longing to tell others. Do you remember the story? I often refer to it because it's a great story. It's in the Old Testament. There's a siege around the, uh, the city and uh, the enemy, the Syrians, I think it was, they're outside and uh, there's the food... Uh, There's a famine, there's no food, and and they're dreadful conditions. And they cry unto God, and and God has mercy upon them. And uh, he destroys the army of the Syrians. But what's interesting in that story is there's a little gang of lepers outside the city. and They're outside deliberately because they weren't allowed to win the city, and they're there. And they said, you know, boys we're going to die of starvation here because nobody's coming out and giving us handouts, so we're going to die of starvation here. Why don't we go down to the camp and they may give us some handouts there, may check out some bits of bread or whatever, and if they don't and they might kill us, well, we're going to die here, so we might as well die there. So let's go for it. So they go down to the camp. When they get there, they found that God has visited the camp uh, with with whatever it was and they've all fled, and they've left their big beef burgers and chips behind uh, and all the rest of it. And it's all there, and this food is wonderful. They oh, boy, Oh, boys, wonderful. And so they start gorging themselves. And one says, Now listen, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. It's not right we keep it to ourselves. We must share it. And so they go back to the city and say, Listen, listen, we've got a message. Good news, good news. There is provision. You don't have to starve. God is providing it. The camp is there. Lots and lots of food. They're all gone. And they said, oh, this sounds a bit dodgy to us. They're probably sneaking around the corner. When we go down, they'll jump out of us and smash us. They said, well, they don't appear to be anyway. We'll send a little party just to see. And they go, and, of course, it's all there. Oh, it's wonderful. And there's one of the, I forget the details, but there's like a captain, and uh, the prophet says, God will will bless the people. He said, you know, if God opened the windows of heaven, um, this couldn't be done. It's impossible. Even for God, it's impossible. And the prophet said, you know, God will do it, but you're not going to enjoy it. And it happened. Once the people heard the good news, they rushed out and trampled this bloke underfoot, and I was in it. Don't mess with God. Now, the point is this. If you've got something that's so great and so wonderful, uh, you must share it. I know I've spoken about the black currants so I eat them all myself. I'd give you one or two, but no more. You know, I would share it. you. Honest. Honest, I would. If this gospel is so good and so great, if it's the only means of salvation of forgiveness of sins, surely we must share it. Share it with our families. Share it with our neighbors. Share it with our friends. Share it with everybody. Listen, God has been good to me. Why you? I have no idea. Just that old sinner called John. But it's available. And there's enough for you all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I nearly finished. One of the embarrassing things about being hospitable and having guests is if you run out of something. You run out of food. Now I know you ladies are so well prepared, it would never ever happen to you. Well, for someone who's just learning, it happens. Uh, I haven't got much here, but you can have a bit of toast. Oh, that's all right, a bit of toast will be right. Oh, sorry, you can't have toast, there's no bread. Oh. But I'll make you a nice cup of tea, okay. Do you take milk? Yes. Oh, sorry, I'm getting milk. You've never been in that position, have you? You've always got enough. Well, God never runs out of provision for you, for me, in Christ. All that God has is available to all his people in Christ. His grace is sufficient for all our needs. We need to learn to come and say, Father, I'm a needy person. I need grace. I need patience. I need love. I need this. I need that. Lord, I just need so much. Please, please help me with this. See me through today. See me through this week. See me through this month. And grant me to be careful give you all the praise and all the glory. If any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the greatness of the gospel. There's something glorious about this gospel the way it was planned, the way it was executed, the way it was performed, the way it was brought to fruition and fulfillment. We thank you. And if any man, any woman, any person, whoever they may be, whatever they have been, they can be in Christ. They can be a new creation. All things will pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that process will continue until he comes, until he appears, until he calls us home. Bless your word to us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Right. Our last hymn is loved with everlasting love, 600 and 54, and there's a particular reason why I chose that, because there's a little verse which i read in a moment, um, which, um, well, let me read the first verse first. first verse firstly. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace, I'd love to know, spirit breathing from above, that was taught me to sow, Oh, this full and perfect peace, O oh, this transport all divine, in a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs of fall, flow. Flowers, black currents with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. 6, 5, four. Oh. And with in, in love, led by grace that love Amen.